Well, we are in the last installment of a three-part series on relationships, and there's hardly anything more important in life than having healthy relationships. It could literally save your life. Uh, We live with a lot of domestic abuse in our society, and most domestic abuse is preventable, absolutely preventable, because no one should live under any kind of abuse and disrespect. The stories we hear on the evening news of murder, of beatings, didn't start that night. They began months and years before when a disrespectful statement was made from a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband or any people disrespecting each other. And that disrespect was allowed and allowed. It got worse and worse and worse until murder took place. All that could have been prevented by understanding what it takes to have healthy relationships. Week one, I'll give you a fast review. Week one was basically get a life. Get you a life. You are responsible for your own happiness and joy and life. That's right. It isn't about finding the right people to surround yourself with. It's being the right kind of person. It's about understanding that healthy people start with themselves in their relationship to Jesus Christ. That's everything. That's in a nutshell. That's the whole deal. It all starts with you and Christ. Now, you can have healthy relationships and not be a Christian. People do it all the time. But you can't fulfill all that God intended you to be and become the people that God intended us to be without a relationship that's vital and ongoing with Jesus Christ in your life. It's just impossible. And then become a person that others are attracted to. Develop your mind. Yes, no matter how old you are, develop your mind. Read books. Get hobbies. Work on projects. Develop yourself. as Never stop developing yourself as a human being. I love the story of Howard Hendricks. Years ago, the preacher in, in Texas, as an older man, ran into a 90-year-old woman who had been his mentor for years. She met him at the door of a party, and she said, Howard, let's not bore each other with each other. What have you been reading recently? And this is a woman who stimulated her life all the time and became an interesting person. If you find yourself at a restaurant with your maid or loved one or friend and you're staring at each other and there's nothing going on, that's a problem. No show of hands, but it happens, doesn't it? Lord, you've been looking at that woman for 40 years. What else you got to say? Man, you've looked at that old buzzard for 30 years. Man, we've talked it all out. You have stopped developing yourself as a human being. Grow in relationship with Christ and grow as an individual. You, didn't, you, didn't, you don't come into relationships to make you happy. You come into relationships to add to the happiness you already have inside. So that's week one. Go, go, down to, go down to Walmart, go out to Sam's and get you a life. Okay, just get you, get you a life. Be a person that doesn't parasite off other people. A parasitical relationship is very unhealthy and very unattractive. Number two, the second week we talked about 
respect and, uh, and honor. That this is a key to loving, healthy relationships. Why? Because if you don't respect someone, you're not valuing them. If you're not valuing them, you're not loving them because the very definition of love is to value someone highly. It all starts with our honoring the Lord, that we respect and honor him. This thing of honor is huge. Sometimes the preacher's messages help me more than others. But last week's message, the preacher helped me a lot. Because everywhere I've gone this last week, I've thought of honoring people. And that guy in front of me that's really slow with the red light taken off, I haven't been quite as irritated with him. Because I've chosen, even though I don't even know him, to honor him as a human being. That person in line with a thousand, a thousand coupons and, and you're, 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 they don't know how to use a credit card and you just want to do this to them. I've chosen to honor them. I walked into floor and decor, went up to the service desk, was a, a very nice lady, but she was in a bad mood, bad attitude, bad mood, you know. If I'm going to dishonor her, I'm going to tell her, why don't you go get a job you don't have to work with people because you don't need to be where you're at because I'm, a, I'm your customer. You owe me a great customer experience. But I chose to honor her that day and we got to talk. You know, by the time we got done, she was tripping over herself ordering my tile from Savannah, Georgia. We had a wonderful conversation. I changed the entire environment of our conversation by honoring hers. I didn't honor her to get, a, get my tile. I honored her because she deserved honor because she was made in the image of God. We carry our environment everywhere we go. We carry who we are. If you have a bunch of bad relationships, you're bringing yours into it. You're probably causing it. Hard truth, isn't it? Funny thing, at the end of that conversation at floor and decor with this lady, a gentleman walked up and works in the floor, and I've been in there enough, they kind of know me. And a guy walked up, and we've had spiritual conversation. He walked around and said, hey, brother, how you doing? Good to see you. Shook his hand up. I'm so happy I didn't get on to that woman at that point. <laughs> see? So we honor the Lord. We see his value and then all of a sudden, my value comes from his value. Because he didn't create junk. Stop drawing your value from yourself or other people's opinions. That's a low ball, isn't it? Other people's opinions of you? Pfft, I haven't got a nickel for that. But I draw my value that I'm a creation of God Almighty. And it's nothing to do with what I can do in this life. Okay? Your value has nothing to do with how good looking you are. Or what you can do, how much money you make, or what you drive, or where you live. None of that. If you draw your value with that, you have devalued God because that is such a low place to find value. You're valued because God made you. Period. Imagine sitting down in the same room with someone you highly esteem. Picture somebody right now in your mind that you would absolutely trip over yourself to be with. Maybe somebody famous. Maybe Brad Pitt for you ladies. I don't know. No. Maybe somebody very rich and wealthy. Maybe someone of high, maybe some music icon that you've loved to listen to their music. Sit down with James Taylor and pick the guitar with him. That'd be kind of cool for me. 
Imagine being in that room with them, and you're in the same room with a homeless, dirty appearance, odor, well, bum. And imagine valuing those two people exactly the same. That's what Jesus Christ would do because the value does have nothing to do with power, position, fame, nothing. Value is something we give to people because they're created in the image of God. They don't have to earn that thing. Okay? They just, so that's week two. Week one, get a life. Week two, honor God, honor yourself, and give that honor to people. Okay. Third week and the final installment, what to do when it all breaks down. Yeah. Just do this. I can't even see them out there. Let's do this two sides. Thank you, Larry. That's, you'll get it. Okay. Band-aids. Wheelchair. Crutches. Because the best of relationships have trouble. They really do. And at the end of the day, if you're a person that doesn't know how to forgive others, you will grow old all alone with hair growing in places it shouldn't grow (laughs) and an odor about you and clothes that don't match and no one will have anything to do with you and you won't have anything to do with people. And quite frankly, this is some people's approach to relationships. I'm going to keep everyone away from me. I have been burned too many times. No one's going to hurt me again. That's a cold existence. That's a lonely existence. That's not how God created us. But stuff can get that bad, can it? You can get hurt that bad by people. You start shutting people out. So it's vital that you understand the need to forgive others. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is a story that Jesus told concerning a king who decided to forgive one of his subjects. And that subject who refused to forgive one of his fellow servants. Matthew chapter 18. And we'll begin once you find it at verse 21. Chapter 18 of the book of Matthew, verse 21. Then Peter, and I'm so, I'm so thankful for Peter. He opened his mouth, but he asked questions where we got responses we would have never gotten without big mouth Peter. You know, be thankful for all the personality types because he asked the questions all of them wanted to and just didn't. Thank God for Peter. So Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he offers an answer. And he's probably quite proud of his answer, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He suggests as many as seven times. And looking about the group, Peter stepped back off and expected a commendation, but he wouldn't get one. You see, the rabbinical teaching of the time was that you forgave people three times, and the fourth time, they're gone. 
Now, they got that from the book of Amos. In the book of Amos, in the first couple chapters, like six times, over and over again, God mentions Damascus, Syria, even Israel. And he says, for three transgressions, yea, for four, I will bring judgment. For three transgressions, yea, for four, I'm going to judge. No more forgiveness after the fourth offense. That's where they got it from. So Peter doubles the number and adds one for good measure. He doubles it and adds one. He thinks, man, I got a great answer. Look at Jesus' reply. I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Would you believe 490? Now, there's a couple different ways to look at that. One of the ways to look at that is, oh, by the way, was it seven times a day? Was it seven times a week? Was it, it was seven times in a whole lifetime. You got a whole lifetime, you'll get seven shots, Peter says. 490. One way to look at it is after you begin to, how many times have people really hurt you? Where you really were forced to forgive them or, or had the opportunity to forgive them? Maybe 20, 30, that's a lot. Not 490. So the idea is you begin to do it and you'll see the joy of forgiveness and the freedom that it brings you. And after a few times, you'll quit counting and you'll never get to 490. It's one way to look at it. But there's another. Numbers in the Bible have great significance. They just do. The number for grace is five. The number uh, for the unity of God is the number one. Six is the number of man. Six, six, six. Seven is the number of God's completion. Like seven days in a week. The numbers for completion. Well, you have seven there, but you have 70 times seven. So you have a seven times something to make 70. You math scholars, tell me what it is. Thank you. I'm glad it was quick. Seven times 10 makes 70. 10 is the number in the Bible for harmony. Harmony. It's what happens after you forgive. There's a harmony that goes on. So you have this beautiful picture of God saying, Seven, complete, and keep doing it until there's harmony going on. Never stop. Well, that's not enough for Peter or for the rest of the men to teach the lesson because they're not buying into it. It's hard sometimes to buy into this forgiveness thing. So he tells a story. So look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, to take account of them, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just a quick note. The servant was not really concerned about this debt until the king began to take account you know, he didn't rush in and go, man, I owe you 10,000 talents. When can we start paying it off? He could care less. 
It wasn't until the king sent out a, come, come see me. We are not concerned as human beings about our sin before God until God begins to take account of us. And the Holy Spirit brings it to light. And all of a sudden we see the debt we're in. So that's just a side point. No extra charge. Uh, verse 24. 10,000 talents. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I want, to, I want to go through the narrative with you. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant did about all that he possibly could do at this point is cry out for mercy. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay thee everything. Really? What is a talent? And what are 10,000 of them? A talent is the largest unit of measurement of gold or silver. Either gold or silver. A talent weighs about, one talent weighs about 75 pounds. That's of gold or silver. This is 10,000 talents. It was a king's ransom. Now, I've got my sheet because I'm terrible with numbers, and so I'm going to read here. One talent was worth 6,000 denarii. Now, in just a minute, we're going to see that the servant that owed this servant 100 denarii. So that's how that comes in. One talent is worth 6,000 denarii. A denarii is one day's labor for a common soldier or worker of the day. So to pay off one of these talents would take 6,000 working days, which is 16 years. Follow the math. So if you have 10,000 talents, you have 60,000 denarii, multiplied by 16 years, it would take you 160,000 years to pay off this debt. That's more lifetimes than we've got. So when he said, I'll pay it all, he didn't even calculate in his mind. 160,000 years to pay it off. R.S. Kennedy has given us a wonderful illustration He says this, that if you take 100 denarii, you could carry them pretty much in one pocket. One pocket, you could fit that in. But the 10,000 talents, it would take 8,600 soldiers carrying about 60 pounds apiece. If you line them up, 8,600 soldiers, you give them 60 pounds of that gold or silver, You would stretch them out, putting a yard between them. It would go for five miles long. That's a debt, is it not? And that's the debt this man owed the king. A ridiculous statement to say, I'm going to pay it all. Notice verse 27. Purely, out of pity, out of pure mercy and pity for this man, the master of that servant released him, And forgave him the debt. Now let me stop and say this. When God forgave us and saved us, 
the same very same moment. He released us from a debt we could never pay, a crushing load that we would never even begin to pay, the debt of sin. You know, if you just stop and meditate on that thing for a while to understand that none of the sins of our lives will come up to account before God if you're born again and saved. They're gone. They're forgiven. That's the mercy of God for you and I. Yet we did nothing to earn it. He saw nothing special in us out of the very heart and mercy and love of God. He wiped your sins clean by his blood. They don't even exist anymore. Hallelujah. We of all people on the earth should be the freest to forgive others, the freest and most able. Well, let's see the response of the servant. You know the story, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Wasn't under him, wasn't over him as a fellow who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. Before you're too quick to judge this man, how many times have we not forgiven those who have offended us? How many times have we held the anger and said in our hearts, they owe me and they'll pay me every last penny and I'll hate them until they do. Right? We've all done it. And the loser's not them. We're not punishing them. We're putting ourselves in a prison. So the story goes on. He says that he refused and went and put him in prison. Well, the servant said, look, have patience with me. Does that sound familiar? I'll pay you. That's just what he's just said to the king. This man just came out of the presence of the king and caught this man. How evil the human heart is. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not I, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers, to the prison, to the dungeon. Verse 35 stings a bit, doesn't it? So also, my heavenly Father will do so to you if you do not forgive your brothers. Notice, from your heart. That doesn't mean we lose a salvation that it's eternally secure. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that God will place us in a bondage of our own unforgiveness. And we will be untrapped until we forgive. I want to encourage you to give you three different gifts to people. I want to encourage you to give them the gift of understanding. Look, you have no idea what's going on in people's lives everywhere you go. Let's let's get off God's pedestal place and and try to give people a little bit of understanding. Maybe that person who's real slow in front of you in the car just came out of a, had a heart attack, just had a crash and almost died, and this is the first time they've ever driven since then. 
Maybe that person in front that's in front of you at the cash register fumble with the coupons had a stroke last week or last month or last year and they can't get their hands to work right. We have no idea what's going on in people's lives. I went into the apartment office where we've been staying about a month ago because we had a leaky roof. I was a little frustrated because I didn't feel like they were doing anything. And I did tell them how I felt about things. And the uh, apartment manager was cold, she was curt, and she was unsympathetic. I'll give her those three words. She just was. And she says, there's nothing I can do for you. I said, well, that's, I feel like that's wrong. Didn't, didn't come across in any way I felt like I needed to go back and apologize. I just let her know how I feel. I said, this is wrong. It's, it's wrong to allow the leaking to go on, and I've got mold in my apartment. About a couple weeks ago, weeks after that, I saw that very same lady in a parking lot uh, with a 15-year-old teenage son in tow, and she was arguing, he was giving her a hard time. And I thought to myself, maybe that's why she was in a bad mood that day in the office. If I'm dealing with a teenage son like that, I might be a little crabby. The point is this, be understanding to people. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they've encountered in life. Be understanding to people. You don't know. There was a, uh, a revival preacher preaching years ago, and he was thundering. It was, it was one of those meetings where he'd invite all the lost people, you know, and he was turning it to gospel, you know. And there was a fellow who was the, uh, his wife and husband, they sat down there, and about a certain point, in his sermon, he would always fall asleep. He would always, you know, just like, boom, he's gone. And this went on for a whole week. And every night the guy would preach, he'd fall asleep. And it made the guy preacher madder and more angry every night. So the last night, she came, the, the wife came to him by the side and said, I, I want you to pray for my husband. He has a problem. He said, you, you're right, he has a problem falls asleep during my preaching. He's got a spiritual problem. She said, no, you don't understand. He's got cancer, stage four cancer. That's why he was falling over. You just don't know what goes on in people. So stop judging them. Stop jumping them, okay? Number two, give them the gift of being human. This is the most wonderful gift you can give to somebody. How many of y'all, by a show of hands, have said something incredibly stupid? All right. Some of you are a little slow. You're like, okay, you know, whatever. Let's try it again. How many of y'all have said anything incredibly stupid? Yes. We got both hands now. How many of y'all have ever done anything incredibly stupid? So why are we so quick to, to, to judge others and to jump on them for the stupid thing? that Give them the gift of being human. They had a bad moment. I haven't had a phone call in a long time from a church member that was upset. I count that a good thing, and I'm happy for it. But once in a while, in the years past, I've gotten a phone call left on my message by a disgruntled church member. Something happened. They weren't happy. They didn't like it. I want to let you know right up front, when you leave a message like that on my voice recorder, I want you to know what I'm going to do with it. As soon as I hear you're upset, I'm going to hit the delete button. Not because I don't care about how you feel about it, but that probably wasn't your best moment. I can't tell you the church members have come to me and said, Brother Mike, that message I left, I was in, I'm so sorry. And I said, 
I didn't even listen to it. And I go, oh, thank God. Thank God. It's not your best moment. I'm going to honor you by deleting you. That's what I'm going to do. Because we all have those moments. I remember years and years ago, a lady was working the booth up there, and we had had a series of problems with the PowerPoint, and that's when they controlled the PowerPoint. And it was a Sunday night, and I was preaching along, and was having problem, 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 problem. All of a sudden, I got in the flesh, and I thought, they're sabotaging me up there. (laughs) And I'm telling you, the rest of the message was a bomb. It was just terrible. It was awful. And the Lord specifically said to me, don't you ever stand in front of people and get angry like that with somebody. I'll pull the plug quicker than you can turn your head. We're all people. We're all human. Give people a break. Give them a big, fat, royal break. Okay? Because they're going to say something dumb. We're all going to lose it at times. We're going to have bad moments. Okay? Before I share the last gift that I want you to give to folks, you probably can guess what it is. I want to share an iconic photograph out of 1972. During the height of the Vietnam War, uh, it's a picture of a little girl running down the street. Those of you who live, those of us who lived through Vietnam, remember that picture. And uh, it, it, I'm going to tell you a story after I show you the picture. You young people, let me ask you to handle this with maturity. This is, this is a, a young lady, young girl named Kim Pung. She has a longer name, but that was an iconic photograph out of Vietnam back in 1972. She was inside of a building that was bombed. She ran out and she's naked because she stripped her clothes off because she was burning. Shortly after this photo was taken, she collapsed in the street in a canteen of water by the the photojournalist and someone else was poured over to her and she was taken off to the hospital. Spent 14 months in rehab with reconstructive surgery, uh, eventually taken to San Francisco and operated on one of the, one of the greats of, of plastic surgery. Uh, there was a gentleman who was in charge of that raid by the name of John Plummer. John Plummer was responsible for ordering that napalm raid and bomb on that city. He was assured over and over there would be no civilians, no civilians. And this photo has haunted him for many years. Uh, In 1990, John Plummer became a Christian, got saved, went off to seminary and studied for the ministry. He's now Reverend John Plummer, and he's a minister of Bethany United Methodist Church in Virginia. Um, he always desired to know what happened to this little girl, and he found out in 1996 that she was alive and living in Toronto. And so um, somehow he ended up in Toronto and tried to contact her and couldn't. He found out she was speaking at a Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C., and he went in the audience and listened to her speak. Uh, In 1982, 1982, this young girl, Kim Fong, uh, although raised as a Buddhist, became a Christian. 1982, she had gotten saved. As she gave her address, she said this, I've never met the man responsible for the raids, 
but I'd like to meet him. Because if I ever met him, I, I would forgive him. Well, he was staying in the crowd this whole time. He sent word to her that he was there, and they met. And with tears in his eyes and her eyes, both now believers in Jesus Christ, they embraced and he said over and over again, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And she said, I forgive, I forgive. Don't worry about it, I forgive. The last gift I want to encourage you to give is a gift that people don't earn, you give it. It's a gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a decision of the heart. It's a decision of the mind, not to make people pay what they owe you for hurting you. You know what I'm talking about. You get hurt, and you're going to pay for that. I'm going to treat you like this, and I'm going to treat you like that, and I'm going to send you through the mill until I figure you learned your lesson about what happened. I'm going to hurt you like you hurt me. Forgiveness is releasing that debt. You're free. Never to be brought up again. Never say, I, can, I can't forgive that. Never say that. It's wrong and inaccurate. It's unbiblical. If you're going to not forgive, say, I will not forgive you. Not that I cannot. Because forgiveness is always an option. Purest definition of forgiveness I've ever heard is to release people from the debt that they owe you, and I mean they're free to forgive and to forget. My father-in-law used to say, let's bury the hatchet, handle and all. Handle and all. Three things of healthy relationships, get your life, develop yourself as a human being, and then you'll attract other healthy, whole people. Number two, Honor yourself, honor people, honor God. Do not allow dishonor in your life from others or from yourself. Don't allow it. No one talks disrespectfully to you. No one dishonors you. Stop it. Stop it in its tracks. And if there's people around you who are disrespecting and dishonoring you and they, they refuse to do it, begin to separate from them. Don't allow it. Never let anyone disrespect you. Because to disrespect you is to dishonor God who, who created you. And number three, when it all falls apart, when it's all a mess, forgive. Because if you don't, you're going to be all alone in life. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be isolated. And you'll live in a prison of your own unforgiveness. One word of caution. There are people that are angry with you that will probably still be angry with you after you forgive them. It's not about them. It's about you. Because when any, anybody lives in that little apartment on the left-hand side of your brain way back, they're living there, you know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, in your mind, you, you know somebody right now you need to forgive. I didn't bring it up. God brought it up. He, he lives right there. This, he's got a little apartment. He's got, you know, he's got a, a set of keys, and the whole thing comes and goes as he pleases. He lives there. <coughs> Say, you know, let him go, forgive him.